Well, we're, I mentioned we're in this series called The Story, and if you're, if you're visiting with us, you, you probably don't know, but you may have heard um, that we are going through this long series. It's going to take us 40-some weeks. We're about halfway through. We are going through the entire Bible. Now, when I say that, I don't mean we're not going through page by page. It seems like it sometimes um, <laughs> that we're going through page by page, but I actually have to microwave a lot of this stuff because I just can't quite get it all in. Um, per Sunday. There's a book called The Story that basically puts the entire Bible in chronological order, and it reads like a novel. And we're going through every chapter of that. This week is chapter 16. Um, Now, the funny thing is that they, they, uh, when the story puts out these sermons that the preacher's supposed to look at, and I know that there are some guys that look at these sermons and they just preach them word for word. Um, And the the, the idea is that, you know, they send sermons and, and I preach a sermon that then you kind of have read about this week, and I get these sermons, and i just be real honest with you, I get these sermons, and I'm like, ain't no way I'm saying that. <laughs> I just, it just doesn't fit for us, you know, and it doesn't mean it's not good, it doesn't, but I know where we are here at New Life, and um, so I, I kind of changed things up um, pretty considerably. Um, the title of the sermon that they sent me for this, or that I have for this, um, is called um, The Beginning of the End, and as I read through it, I thought, oh, I get it, I, I get the whole thing. But I changed the name, um, along with mo- most of the content, to uh, You Might Be a Stiff-Neck, a stiff-neck If. Um, one of my favorite comedians is Jeff Foxworthy. He does the um, You Might Be a Redneck If. And, um, so I-, I want you to hang with me a little bit today. I, I think uh, I've been praying for you individually. Some of you have been praying the wrong thing for. Um, I'll explain that a little bit later in our service. Um, I thought I was praying the wrong thing, but who knows? Um, and uh, I, but many of you, I know what's going on in your life, I know what's happening, and I've been praying pretty deeply for a lot of you. Um, and I know there's pain going on in some of you. I know there's some exciting things. And I've been praying specifically today that this message would be an epiphany for you. Um, I love that word. I use it probably too much. Um, but the idea of an epiphany is that it's something out of the ordinary, something new, something fresh. And so I've been praying for that for you all today. And as we move forward, I, I want to kind of talk just a little bit about the story in general. I watched uh, the first session of the Bible on, on uh, the second one is tonight. It's two hours. Last week was two hours. I don't know if it's two hours every week or not. Incredibly well done and moving. And I realized, uh, Risha and I were watching it, and every time we get to a commercial, um, you know, I, I would kind of start talking. And I'm sure she's thinking, oh, now he's going to start preaching to me, you know. Um, but I started just saying, you know what, it's so evident to me every time we see somebody who actually gives their life to God. Not just says that they're giving their life to God and not just does it every now and then, but anybody, every time we see somebody in the story that gives their life to God, if you're watching the, the Bible, you watch this, you mark it down. They look crazy. Don't they? They look insane. If you think about it, the whole thing with the, with the Bible series starts with Noah, and he, it's so cool. If you haven't watched this, it starts with Noah, and he's on the ark, and he's telling his family the story of Adam and Eve, and it's so cool the way he does it. But you think about Noah, he was insane. This guy was ridiculous to the people around him. He's building the biggest boat the world has ever seen in the desert where most people have never seen more than a cup of water at a time. He's, in, he's a maniac. He's a lunatic. And so you get through that, and then you meet a guy named Abraham, who God actually says, I, I, if you really love me, you'll sacrifice your son. You, you'll actually take your son and put him on the altar. And I, I told Risha at one of the breaks, I, I don't even have to wonder what I would do. I mean, I'm your preacher. I, but if I heard 
If I felt like I heard God say, I want you to sacrifice Reese on an altar, you know what I would do? I would go, I, I must have been mistaken. That must have been, no way that was real. And there is, I, I just know myself, I'll be real honest with you, it ain't going to happen. And I'm a pretty crazy guy. And I'm pretty crazy about God. This Abraham was a lunatic. If you don't know the end of that story, it's pretty cool. He goes up and basically God provides another sacrifice and he doesn't sacrifice his son. But what a lunatic the guy is. He, and, and as we go through this story, you watch. Every one of these Bible characters who, may, who is a, a hero in the character looks different. Wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if your neighbors saw something different in you? I'll never forget um, when we moved into the house that we're in on the south side of Bloomington. We, we had talked to our neighbors. We were real nice to the, our neighbors, and they were nice to us. And it was just kind of the cheesy neighbor, kind of say the same things every time. You know those stupid comments that you make when he's out washing his car. I always say, oh, pull mine up next. You know, the stupid comment that everybody makes, you know, just because you've got to say something to your neighbors, and that's what, well, that's what we did, you know. And, and we did that for a long time. And about three years into being in this house, my dad said, I met a guy at church this morning. My dad goes to Sherwood Oaks in Bloomington. I met a guy at church this morning. He lives in your neighborhood. He's a Christian. Really good guy. Plays drums. Really nice guy. And I'm like, huh, I wonder who that is. Dad said, he's a really strong Christian. Great family. Cool people. His name's Dennis. I'm like, huh, that's funny. My neighbor's named Dennis. <laughs> and then mom and dad come over to the house. And, dad go, and Dennis is getting out of the car. Hey, there's Dennis. And they walk across to each other and start talking to each other about church. And I thought, how is it that the very center of my life as a person, if you ask me what's the most important thing to me as a person, it'd be really hard for me not to say my kids and my wife. But truthfully, if you really boil it down, it's God. And somehow, I didn't even tell the people that live next door to me. Somehow, we didn't even know it in each other. i got to tell you, if, if I was living in the Bible times and I was one of these people... You can't go a day without knowing Abraham's close to God. You can't go a second without knowing, looking across the backyard and knowing Noah's doing something that ain't normal. You know what I'm saying? I think one of the messages of the story is that God intends for our lives to be different. And what we do as Christians, and many of you are doing it right now in your life, and I'm talking right to you. I used to say I'm not talking to anybody in specifically, but... Man, the closer we get to the world blowing up, the more I'm just getting to the point. And some of you, I'm telling you, you're living like the rest of the world. You got the hope of Jesus, you got heaven coming, but you're living like the rest of the world. Nobody would know. You, you, you worship small gods with a small G. You put all your money, you put all your time, you put all your energy into things that cannot save you, that will not bring you hope, joy, and peace. You just keep living like that. And then you come in on Sundays and you, you pretend you don't. What I've been praying this week is that some of you realize that you're part of a cycle. And when I say some of you, I'm speaking about myself. I have the same problem, especially when I get on an airplane. You know, I've been, uh, been kind of looking forward to what's coming up in the story. You know, we're getting into the New Testament stuff. And I just read a little bit ahead. And I was reading on the airplane, or in the airport just recently, coming back from San Francisco. I was reading that Jesus was talking about the last shall be first and the first shall be last. You know what I'm talking about. You've heard that. 
that, that there is this real, and I can't wait, now, that's coming soon, and I can't wait to talk about that. What it really means to all, our culture to mean that the first will be last and the last will be first. This is so funny. I'm sitting in the airport, and um, I travel so much, I wish this weren't true, but I have status on the airlines, okay? And if you don't travel, you don't know this, but if you do travel, you know what that means. I have status on the airlines. That means I'm going to get upgraded to first class. And there is something that happens to me when I get upgraded to first class. I'll just be real honest. When I sit in the back of the plane, I don't know if you ever noticed, there's a curtain between first class. Like somehow I'm not, these people are separated from us. If I'm sitting in the back of the plane, I don't get upgraded. I see that curtain, I'm like, that's stupid. <laughs> stupid curtain and the people up there aren't any better than me. But if I get upgraded to first class, I didn't pay anymore. You understand that. They just had an open seat and I happen to travel more, so I'm more loyal to their program. So I get upgraded to a first class seat. I sit in a seat and go, would somebody close that curtain, please? There's this thing in me, and here I am in an airport, your preacher reading about the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. And I'm hoping that I bump the lady with a baby out of a seat so that my status will get me six more inches of leg room and a little bit better food. This is who we are. That's who we are. And I didn't get upgraded, and it's probably a, good, probably a good thing. I decided that day, if I'd have got upgraded, God, I'm going to give it to somebody. Last shall be first, right? I, I was first, and now I'm going to be last. Who knows if I'd have really done it. <laughs> but he, here's the thing. This is the way we live our lives. We say one thing, we live another. And this story is just about that. It's about a cycle of faith. And I want to share this with you today. I want you to know this does not come from the Bible. You won't find this diagram in Numbers you know, somewhere or in Deuteronomy. This diagram is not in your Bible. In fact, I would say I've never seen a diagram like this because most preachers don't want to put this on paper. And this is probably not everybody's experience. In fact, I could say this is not everybody's experience. But when I look through the Bible and I see the story of people's lives and I look through Paragon and I look through your life and I've spent almost six years with those of you who are sitting in these pews with a lot of you. And I see this cycle of faith. And I love when we can see something. Maybe we can begin to start to, if we see a pattern, we can start to break it. You know what I'm saying? And here's what it is. Here's what we see in the chapter 16 um, of the Bible. And we're going to explain it today. But we, we see with, that people are kind of in this loop of faith. That they, they have some awful things happen to them. Sometimes it's some good things happen. Maybe a baby's born. Maybe, um, maybe someone passes away. Something happens, and you have a moment of perspective. I, I use that word a lot just to mean that you step back and you, you realize what's important in life. And I believe if you really do get perspective on the world and you get perspective on your life, then you, God has to be a part of it. And so you step back and you get this kind of a God moment, this perspective moment. And it leads you to kind of realize who God is and who you are. In fact, some of you are here today because of that moment. You've had a moment this week. Um, or you've had a time where things have gotten so bad, you realize who you are, that you're, you're just floundering, trying to do the same thing over and over, or, and you realize who God is. And then you get to a point where you repent, because that's what that happens. When you really see who you are, and you see who God is, you go, man, I'm a mess. I am a hot mess. And if I keep going in this direction, it's just going to get worse. So you do what the Bible calls repentance, and that's where you just say to God, I'm sorry, and I'm going to let you take charge again. And that repentance leads to, as the Bible says, if it's true repentance, if it really comes from your heart, and it's not just, God, I'm going to go get forgiven so I can go do this again next week, then God gives, grants this forgiveness. 
Um, and that forgiveness leads, and it, this is how you know if the forgiveness is real, it always leads you to want to do something. If you've messed up in your life and you've asked God to be forgiven and he has forgiven you, the next step is to do something with it, to, to go do something with your life. And if you're not, there is this issue of, is this real? Because that's the next progression. If it doesn't, then, then what happens? And this is, where I think, um, this is where I think we start to see some real patterns in the Bible and some patterns in our life. You get into this point where I'm just calling it drifting. Where you're not really trying to get closer to God, but you're not trying to get away from God either. And you're just sort of drifting through life. Hoping that nothing bad happens. Hoping that nobody really asks you how you feel about God. Hoping you never get asked to do something really hard or important by God, and you drift. And at that moment, the enemy, we believe that there's a battle being fought that we can't see, and the enemy loves drifting Christians, loves drifting people in general. People who aren't attached to anything, people who don't believe in anything, people who have no, no motivation to move forward. It's called drifting. And when that happens, it leads to disobedience. And what I mean by disobedience is knowing the things that you are doing are completely messed up. That they are not what you're supposed to be doing. Reese is trying to grasp this in his life. My four-year-old son um, is trying to find, he's, he's drifting. I mean, let's just be honest. This is, he's drifting in his life right now. He, he makes some good decisions sometimes. And then there'll be these times where he's just testing the rules. And there's times where he's like, oh, I'll do what dad says if it's good for me. He's, he's just a little person right now. And this is a huge time in Reese's life because he's drifting. And it leads him into disobedience. Some of you have done this. It leads you into moving in directions that, that lead then into consequences. And we see this in the story. You're going to see it even today. Where these people of God, this is the, the faith path they go through. They get these terrible consequences and these awful things that happen when they don't follow God's rules. And then it leads to doubt. Complete doubt. And after that, a 100% loss of perspective on life. And this is where you find yourself in a place where you would never expect yourself to be. You just lost total perspective on life. And then something happens. And that's why I have it in a circle here. Something happens and you get perspective again. And you start the cycle over. And maybe you come back to church and you say, I've done it again. And we, go, we start the cycle over. And what I've decided is that there are some opportunities in our story this week and also in our lives here as Christians to do that next slide, Tanya. If we could intervene, sorry for those of you who are listening on home, you can't see this, but if we could intervene somewhere around the drifting side, this is what I feel like my responsibility is here at New Life, more than being a preacher even. If, we could, if I could get so close to you as a person, or I can get you in a small group of people who are so close to you as a person, that when we feel the drift, when we see the drifting in your life, we can intervene. And we can skip from drifting to perspective. We can miss out on disobedience, which leads to hell on earth. It leads to pain. It leads to abuse. It leads to frustration. It leads to suicide. It leads to alcoholism. And if we could figure out how to intervene, if we could have enough guts to say to one another, you're drifting. I had to do it with my son. I did it last night at the restaurant. He was playing around. His mom told him three times to do something. We had a little iPad. It was time to set it. It was time to put it up. And he kept touching it. And Risha said, Reese, stop touching the iPad. It's time to put it up. It's time to eat now. And she pulled it away from him. And just at the last moment before she closed it, he went. Hit it one last time. 
just to drift. Now, if I'm, a, if I'm a bad dad, if I don't care, I go, oh, isn't that cute? Isn't he cute? He's just so ornery. I hope I'm a good dad. And I did the best I could, but I'll tell you what, I picked that kid up and I took him to the front of the room. And I started taking things away. Because <laughs> that's the way it works, stuffed animals. You take stuffed animal away from him and he will button up. He realizes the gravity of the thing. There are consequences for disobedience. His drifting led him to disobedience. And I'm telling you, in this place, if you are sitting with somebody, maybe you're sitting next to them, and I, this is making it really awkward for you, and I hope it is. You're sitting next to them today and they're drifting. They're just drifting a little bit. And you think, oh, it's harmless. It's just, they're just a little ornery, just a little different. I want you to know this is the time to intervene. Find a way. And this is what God does. He brings people into the story over and over and over into our story. We're in the middle of 2 Kings right now, and um, it, it's amazing. In fact, I just got handed today a sheet of paper. Um, somebody was kind of going, Jamie was talking to me on Facebook this week, and she just handed me these two sheets of paper with a list. This is hilarious to me. We're in, a part, in the part of the story where God keeps, people keep surfacing as kings of God's people. And the idea is that God said from the beginning, you can have a king as long as you serve me. As long as you know that I'm actually your king, you guys can have a king that will rule over you as long as they serve me. But I won't bless you if this guy is going to think that he's in charge because I'm in charge. And so there is this list. And bam, this is what we do as humans, isn't it? The Bible doesn't call these people good and bad. But we have a big list here. I'd say there's, you know, all the kings, you know, alphabetical order. And they're called bad or good kings. You've heard this if you've been in the church very long. They're good kings and bad kings, although this guy takes an extra step. These are called extra bad. They're extra bad kings. This, one, this guy's the worst. I don't know how he calculates that. This guy's mostly bad. Um, this guy is extra mostly bad. He's, he's just got all the bad and slash good, both of this guy. So basically what he means is all these people are bad and there's a little bit of good in them. This is what we like to do with the people in our lives, too, don't we? We like to categorize them and go, you're bad, and you're good, and you're good, and you're bad. The truth is, these kings in the story that we're at right now, in chapter 16, are all going through that, that, cycle, that we, uh, cycle of faith, that wheel of faith. They're all going through this. And a lot of them are good or bad. They end up next to their name because somebody intervened. When they were drifting, before they got disobedient, before it got to really bad situations, someone intervened. God sent a man named Isaiah to intervene. Amazing guy. We're going to talk about him just a little bit this morning. 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 12. Read the, listen to this. This is what happens to the, the group of people because of the way the kings are leading them. They all get in this cycle of faith, and they all get so deep onto the left side of that cycle that they end up so far from God. Here's the story. They worshiped idols, though the Lord had said, you shall not do this. The Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and seers, turn from your evil ways. Observe my commands and decrees in accordance with the entire law that I commanded your ancestors to obey and that I delivered to you through my servants, the prophets. So that God inserts these people into the lives of, of the Israelites who are following the wrong gods. He puts them right in the middle and he says, we're intervening. Stop this cycle. You're headed down a terrible road where consequences are coming. Here's where I got the title of my sermon today. Verse 14 says this. I love this. But they would not listen and were a stiff-necked as their ancestors who did not trust in their God. They rejected his decrees and the covenant he had made with their ancestors and the statutes he had warned them to keep. They followed worthless idols. And check this out. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. 
They imitated the nations around them, although the Lord had ordered them, do not do as they do. They forsook all the commands of the Lord their God had made for themselves, and made for themselves two idols cast in the shape of calves and an Asherah pole. They bowed down to all the starry hosts and they worshiped Baal. They sacrificed, this is where things start getting really gross, they sacrificed their sons and daughters in the fires. They practiced divination and sought omens and sold themselves to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. This is something you never once said of your life, that last phrase, arousing his anger. There's this time when God can't take it. God won't deal with it anymore. These people have gotten so far, they've gotten so past the cycle of faith, they've gotten so past drifting, they've drifted into this nation who just has a lifestyle of sin. At this point in history, you're actually going to see it if you're watching the Bible on History Channel, um, you'll see it probably in the next, well, maybe even this week, depending on how fast they move. Um, you'll start seeing the people who have followed God from the beginning. And, the, you know, if you saw the Red Sea part, you've got to watch this if you haven't seen it. They, they did a great job with the Red Sea parting, and the Israelites pass on dry land, and then it was awesome. Pharaoh, the Pharaoh's army just gets swallowed up by the ocean. and It was really a cool thing that they did. And you think as, as a human, the Israelites are on the other side of the sea, and, you know, everything gets real quiet, and you just kind of go, the Israelites just go, that was awesome! <laughs> Like, that was amazing. And you, you think at that point, how could you ever, ever doubt God again? How could you, after seeing the very waters of the ocean open for you, you walk through on dry land and your enemies are destroyed right in front of your face, how could you ever walk away from God? It wasn't 40 days after that moment. 40 days after that moment that they began to build other idols. They began to look for things to worship that weren't worth worshiping. It's easy to judge them, isn't it? It's easy to look and go, well, they're just idiots. Until you look at your own life. Until you deal with the things that God has blessed you with, God has given you, and you go, yep, I've done the same thing. I've walked away. You might be a stiff neck if. This is, this is a stiff neck group of people. And as I thought about it today, I thought, I, you know, I, I love some of these, these people. I love all y'all. But I know as I think about you, there are some of you who are just stiff-necked. It's not going to make a change. And today, you have a great test. If you're, if, you might be a stiff-necked person if you choose to trust in small g gods. This is the story up till now. God says, I want you to trust in me. I want you to worship me only. And they just keep wanting to put God in a, in a box. They want, God, they want to make God just something that they can manage, something that they can easily put in a box. And, and this is what we do, isn't it? If you, if you find yourself in a place today where you are, you're kind of just putting God in a box, you take him wherever you want him, and then you can be whoever you want to be until you need him, and then you let him loose. I have a lot of friends like this that don't want anything to do with God until things get bad. I ate at the Mexican restaurant this week. I think I say that once a week. I've been doing better, um, but I ate at the Mexican restaurant in Bloomington this week, and I sat there, and one of my friends, who doesn't really like me very well, and hasn't liked me since high school, I call him one of my friends, but that's a nice way of saying it, he doesn't like me, um, and maybe the feeling's a little mutual, you know what I'm saying? But he sits across from, he sat across from me, and I just remember how much this kid made fun of me when I was in high school, just made fun of me because of my beliefs and because of what I was going to do when I grew up, 
And as I got out, we ended up playing basketball down at the Hyper in Bloomington together, and he still made fun of me after college, and you know, he called me preacher boy, asked me where my collar was, why I don't have a collar while I'm playing basketball, and just those kinds of things. And he's sitting across from me at the restaurant, and I saw him when I walked in. And I sat down, and I'm like, you know, I'm just not going to deal with it. You know, I could go over and say something to him, but I don't know how that would go. And so I sat down. I was with a couple of the guys I work with, and I sat down, and I just kept, you know how you do, just kept looking over at him, you know, like he's bald now. Yes. You know? <laughs> I say, look, I got hair, and you don't. And I thought, I thought, well, I, you know, I don't, I'm just going to let it go. And we got, I got to eat my chips and talking, and I kind of forgot about it. And pretty soon we get ready to go pay our bill, and here he comes, walking towards me. I'm like, oh, boy. And I even decided to tell the guys that work with me, this could be bad, guys. He does not like me. And he came up, and he was just totally different. Shook my hand, almost gave me one of those bro hugs. You know, the bro hug, you know, where you hang one hand, and then you do the three pats, I'm not gay, you know. <laughs> you don't, I don't want to completely hug you, but I kind of, he gave me one of those bro hugs, you know. And I'm like, what, what's, now what's going to happen, you know. And so he stood there, and he said, you know, I, I saw you come in here, and I just started thinking about my life. And, like, I, I, are, you st- are you a preacher? Like, yeah, I pre- preach up north of here, just kind of waiting. And there was this kind of an explosion in him. Never been close to Jesus in his life, never had church, always made fun of the preachers. Always. But when things got bad, and that's what I've been around this long enough now, I go, so what's going on? His wife just passed away. They've been married three years. She was diagnosed with cancer on their honeymoon. Got sick on their honeymoon and took them to the hospital and found out she had cancer, terminal. She lived a year to have a baby. He's all alone by himself. This guy that I thought was a monster, all of a sudden I just became, I just loved him. We sat back down and my waitress brought me another bag of chips. And, um, the guys went on without me, and I just said, tell me about it. And, and he began to talk, and I realized this guy doesn't know anything about God. doesn't know anything about church. And I realized that, that some of you are in this place today, and I, I prayed with this guy. And after we, we got up, I said, uh, he said, that's the first time I've ever prayed in my life. I said, first time you've ever prayed? Like, ever? He said, well, you know, you go to the ball games, and, and they sing the, uh, the Star Spangled Banner. I'm like, is that prayer? <laughs> That's the only thing he could even get close to relating to prayers, that everybody was doing it together. And, and we prayed together. And when he got up, he's, he's just like, man, I, I don't think God wants anything to do with me, but I, I kind of want something to do with him now. And I said, oh, man, maybe we need to sit back down. Let me tell you, you know. And we stood in the parking lot, and I said, this is who we are as humans. And if you read the story, you know it's been true from the beginning. And if you're here today and you feel like my buddy, that God really wouldn't want to do anything, anything to do with you, I want you to know you're wrong. This is who we are. We get so far from God that we feel like we can't come back. The enemy loves to whisper in our ears, you can't go back. We've got a story coming up in the next few weeks that God tells. It changes his, the way we think about that. You might be a stiff neck if you think God isn't watching. You might be too far on the faith. If you think that God isn't watching your every move, if you think that God doesn't see what you're doing, if you think that he doesn't realize what's in your heart, what's in your head, where you're going, this is what the Israelites were doing at this point. Somehow they felt like that God that got us over the Red Sea, that God that fed us manna from the sky, that God that kept forgiving us and making us his again, that God, he just quit watching. 
He must have just stopped watching me, and I can do whatever I want. If you're feeling like that today, you might be a stiff-necked person. You might be the kind of person who won't turn and look at God. Israelites began to underestimate God. They were stiff-necked in the way that they, they thought they could put God in a box. If you don't listen to God's warnings and take them seriously. I got quiet in here, didn't it? There are some of us that believe that, well, that was an Old Testament thing from God. Or that was, that was back then. God thinks differently now. I want you to know that God's warnings are serious. Finally, you might be a stick-neft person if you keep trying to make, keep trying to do the same thing, making the same mistakes, expecting different results. If you keep worshiping the same small gods, if you keep putting your trust in other things. You know what? What they used to call it when I was in high school, I don't think they say this anymore, it's not politically correct, but if you keep doing the same thing, messing up and expecting different results, it's not just stiff-necked, it's the definition of stupid, isn't it? Some of you come back and we're on this faith cycle, and you, you come back in here and you go, let's do this again. And what I, what I want to say is let's intervene. Let's stop. Let's not get to the consequences side this time. Let's get closely. And this is where God brings in a group of people um, he brings in these, these prophets to come and intervene in the lives of people. Look how bad it got. Second Kings 17.33, they worshiped the Lord, but they also served their own gods in accordance with the customs of the nations from which they had brought. They added God. They just want, God was one more thing in their life. Enter a man named Isaiah. I'm almost done today, but I want to tell you about a man named Isaiah. Isaiah God brings Isaiah into this group of people as a prophet, somebody to come in to intervene in their lives, somebody to come in and kind of, kind of throw a little wrench into things. Um, and he does. Man, does he. An incredible prophet who says some amazing things. Here's what he says in Isaiah chapter 3, verse 8. He says this to a big group of people, and these Israelites b- tend to believe that they are inhuman, that God is going to protect them no matter what. And here's what Isaiah says. Jerusalem staggers. Judah is falling. Their words and deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. The look on their faces testifies against them. They parade their sin like Sodom, and they do not hide it. If you watched the Bible last week, you saw Sodom and Gomorrah. The, Jew, the Israelites know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And this is the worst, one of the worst places on earth at this point in history, and God destroys it. Basically, Isaiah is saying to the, to the Jews, you're no better than Sodom. You're no better than Sodom and Gomorrah. This would have shocked them. To us, it just reads um, a little differently, but to them, it, it would have shocked them that he would have said this. Them's fighting words. Woe to them. They have brought disaster upon themselves. Tell the righteous it will be well with them, for they will enjoy the fruit of their deeds. But woe to the wicked. Disaster is upon them. This is the kind of preacher Isaiah was. This is the kind of thing he said to a group of people. I got up this morning, I started praying for a minute of you, and the, the temptation as a preacher is that I want you to like me. I want to say something funny. I want to say something inspirational, something that brings you peace. Some of the nicest notes I've ever been given after a sermon is, I always feel better after your sermons. I used to think that was a compliment. The more I think about it now, I think, I don't want you to just, I can feel better watching Oprah. I can feel better going to a movie. I don't want you to feel, maybe I want you to feel a little more peace, but I want you to feel moved. I want you to feel ready to go. And Isaiah is the kind of guy who didn't get up in the morning and pray that God, that the people would like him. God, just, would people just like me today? Would it be funny? He gets up and goes, God, what do these people need to hear? And then he says, God's a coming, 
and hell's coming with him for those who have continued to reject him. The scary, scary man. And Isaiah has a moment of perspective that today, if you don't, um, if, you, if you're feeling like you're on this, this faith cycle and maybe you're deep in it, maybe you're, having, maybe you're going through a terrible week. I saw it in some of your faces today as I went around. It's part of why I go around and, and love on you a little bit before I get up here. Give you a hug and see it in your face. I can see that things are hard with a lot of you right now, either physically or emotionally. Some going on I don't even know in some of you. But there's this thing that happened to Isaiah, and I'm praying that something like this happens to you even today. I've been praying for it all week. Here it is. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 2. This is, Isaiah has one of those perspective moments that breaks the cycle um, of faith that we've just talked about. He says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne. Look at, look at this, how big this scene is. The train of his robe filled the temple. So once you get this in your head, Isaiah walks in to a temple of some sort, and he just gets this presence of God. He probably can't actually see, you know, see any part of God, but he sees just the, a little bit of God's robe, and it's filled the entire temple. I don't know if he's like trying to get through it or what he's doing, but there is this sense that God is in this place. Above him were seraphim. These are angels, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. After Isaiah wet himself, he said, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am, man, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So I want to stop there for a second and make sure you get this picture in your head. We don't just move past it. The train of the robe fills the temple. God is in that place. It isn't just a good Sunday morning. It, isn't, it wasn't just a good worship service. That was good music, Rick. You did a great job this morning. It wasn't that, oh, I'll see you next week. God was in the place. That's what I'm praying for in this place. That this is an anomaly in your week. This is something so different. Isaiah will never forget this day. He walks in and here's what happens. And here's what happens to you. When you get into the presence of God, when you actually have a perspective moment like Isaiah did, it changes everything and you get perspective and you have an awe moment. And you go, oh my goodness, this is what Isaiah said. I, I, I realize you're big and I am small. And then he repents. He said, I am a man of unclean lips. And I come from a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen God. In God's presence, I can't sit and look at myself and my mess. There's, there's a, a, a theory, and as I've read through it, I really believe it, that Isaiah might have had a cussing problem. He had a big temper. We know that. He got mad on behalf of God. And I think he had some sort of cussing problem or maybe even a lying problem. Something that would call him, have him call himself a man of unclean lips. And he says to God, I can't sit here and be who I have been in your presence. So would, would you change me? And here's what happens. Then one of the angels, the seraphim, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and he said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. This is a whole other sermon. The angel says, you are forgiven. And by the way, not only are you forgiven, and this is the hardest part for us. Your guilt is taken away. Not only do you get to go to heaven, but that nagging thing you have in your life for the man you used to be 
or the woman you used to be, or the things you used to do, the woman you used to be, the things that used to happen in your life. All those things can go away, and they would have in Isaiah right at this moment. And then look what Isaiah says. Remember what I said about this? You can tell if you've had a real experience with God. You can tell if you're really moving forward with God. When you say to God, I'm a man of unclean lips. I am, I am been worshiping the wrong God. I have been living the wrong life. God, when you look at God and you say that, you get that forgiveness from Him. And you remember what I said, the way you know if it's real? The very next thing that happens, He says this, Then I heard a voice from the Lord saying, Who shall I send? And Isaiah says, Here I am. Send me. This is a real, physical confrontation with the creator of the universe. And what I've been praying for you guys today, I'm almost done, is this. That you would look and see maybe where you are on this faith wheel. And if you need somebody to intervene with you today, I'd love to be that guy. I'm a little nervous about it. I'm kind of a wimp. But I've been praying about it especially those of you I know well, if you come back and you pray with me today, I'd love to, love to intervene and help get you kicked back. But here's what I'd love to do today. I'd love to give you the opportunity to have a perspective moment like Isaiah did. Say, God, I've been kind of bored with my life. I've been kind of just mailing it in. Today, I want that presence of God in my life. And when you do, here's what it does. So as the band, you, band, you guys can come up. As the band comes up, they're going to be playing this song, and what I'd like for you to do is to kind of do what Isaiah did. Invite God, just say, God, I, I, want, I want you to be the main part of my life. I want you to be in the center of my life. And when that happens, you can say, God, I, the sin in my life, I need to get it out. I, maybe it won't be near as poetic as Isaiah. I'm a man of unclean lips. But whatever it is today to get it out of your life, and then to say, what can I do? Where can I move? How can I act to make it different? Are you stuck in your story? Maybe some of you are kind of stuck on that wheel and you need to do what we do with the DVD players in the car with the kids. I have the DVD players that sit in the backs of the seats, you know, and we'll be driving down the road and they'll have their headphones on and it'll be so nice and quiet. And then all of a sudden, Reese will start going, eh, eh. Like, oh, the DVD's skipping again, you know, because he'll watch it until it skips and then it, it skips, goes back and forth and it starts going, eh. So I just reach behind me and go, pop the thing. Or London's getting real good at it too. And it'll skip it and move it past the next place. Some of you come in on Sunday mornings and go, eh. <laughs> My life, it's stuck. Eh, I can't get past this phase. I can't get over this thing. Eh. You know what you need? Need a swift kick. You need a skip, don't you? Some of you are stuck on the wheel. Some of you I've seen for the last few weeks, you come in here and I say, how you doing? And I get this long face. You don't want to tell me, but something's wrong. Something's not there. Something's not right. It doesn't have to be right, but it has to keep moving. Kick it. Do something. I'm praying today that you get kicked a little, okay? But you didn't expect to hear that from the preacher today. But I'm praying today that something gets moved and you quit going, eh, like Reese does. And you make something happen. Maybe you found yourself stiff-necked today. Somebody who's decided that you're in charge of your life. The older I get, the more that just kind of makes me laugh. Knowing the creator of the universe, thinking that, you, thinking that you're actually in charge of your life. and that I, The truth is that God says this, 
I, the very next breath that you take is because I gave you permission. You get that? The reason you're breathing right now is that the creator of the universe wills it. That gives you some perspective, doesn't it? Maybe you've been so stiff-necked you thought you were in charge. I'm give you an opportunity today to have a perspective moment. A moment like Isaiah had. A moment that is unmistakably from the Creator. Not just a good cold chill, not just a good moment. But a moment that is from the Creator of the universe to go, God, I am a man of unclean lips. I am a messed up person. I have sinned. I have fallen short. I don't want to be this person. Let the fire from the altar. I love the picture of the angel coming and searing the sin out of your life. And then saying, not just you're forgiven, but your guilt is taken away. Some of you are living with the guilt. It should be gone. It can be gone today. Those of you who never accepted Jesus, those of you who have never accepted the gift that God has given us and the forgiveness that comes with Jesus Christ, give you a chance to do that today. Most of you have. I'm going to give you a chance to stick around. I've got some baptizing to do today, and I've got some fun things to do, but I'm going to be around a little bit. I'm going to be back in that corner. Find somebody to pray with today. Don't leave this place stuck in your story. Would you stand with us and sing?